This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hey guys, good morning from Money 2020. Live with Breaking Banks Europe. I'm Matteo Rizzi, the executive producer of the show, and I'm here. Good morning, Brad, with Brad Goodwell, CEO of Bank. How are you, Brad? Good, Matteo. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it's been good to, good to be here. Another another day in Amsterdam, which is uh, which is great. Exactly. So let's start with the funny questions to wake uh, everyone's up. Um, you know, everyone seems to take out the name Bank from their logo and <laughs> and, their, and their name of the company. You kept it very proudly. You know, what's yeah. the story? Um, I think so. We we are obviously a, 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 an open banking payments provider, and we really believe that trust is super important. And so, what we want the customer to do is to trust their bank and the merchant or the person that they're that they're paying. And so, we sort of sit in the background. So, banked is about connecting to banks and supplying banks. Um, but ultimately, you know, banks feature very heavily in our world. And so, we sort of embraced that. Uh, so, it's not it's not to start a bank at any point in time or anything like that. It's about, you know, it's about trying to sort of power the bank ecosystem. And so, we, you know, we, and, and, and look, actually, the, the term banked was really about who you bank with, you know, and, and today people bank, you know, with lots of different places, you know, it could be, you could have a crypto wallet that you bank with, you could have a, a neo bank, you could have a traditional bank. Um, and so, yeah, so no, we were very proud about the name for sure. I get it. We'll actually dive a little bit more into banked in a, in a, in a short yeah. while. But what I would love to do first is your personal background, you know. Sure. But I know you're Australian. Yes. And we just discussed about and everyone asks you, you know, why did you move here? <laughs> I am certain that you had a great reason. So my question would be when you're coming back, but that's another topic, right? Yeah, Tell yeah. us about you. So yeah, so I am, I'm, I'm from Australia. Um, I, my career-wise for the, for the first- Converted banker, right? No, not at all, actually. I spent all my time supplying to banks and pro- building products for banks and selling to banks. Then but, you're forgiven. But have never worked inside of, inside of a bank. Um, no, I spent most of my career in core banking. Um, and so I'm sort of new um, ish to the payment space. Um, but yeah, originally from Australia, I came to the UK in 2014. Um, and it was a combination of my wife's from Ireland. So, uh, so we were sort of over this side of the world. Um, but also the fintech industry was just booming at that point. Um, and I, and I, and I came and I was very lucky to, um, to join, uh, an ecosystem at the time, level 39. And then I started working with, um, Eric Vanderclay and some of the teams at oh level God. 39. We're going to have a little, uh, like a souvenir time. 
we were the first tenant with InnoTribe that okay. I co-founded at Swift back in 2008 or nine or something. I mean, I don't know, but I visited Level 39 when they were still like a ruin. Sure, sure. And Eric showed us this place, showed us the dream. And I said, listen, it would be great to have Swift yeah, as yeah, a tenant yeah, right. of yeah. this. So we, we went there. So we are both like a Level 39 adopted child yeah, or something, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it certainly gave me, I came not knowing anyone in London um, and then knew so many amazing people inside of the fintech ecosystem, um, you know, by joining that time. And, and, and I've got Level 39 to thank for that. So, um, so yeah. So, um, and then I was involved in starting a company called 10X yep. um, and then, um, and then, yeah, started Banked. And, but, but yeah, I mean, the UK for me, for the lot, for the sort of second half of my career in, in inside of fintech has has been you know has been an amazing experience. I've been very lucky. So as a as a like a fast learner instead of newbie, I'll use this world into the payment space. Uh, I am a newbie slash current learner, you know, in payments because we actually have a show called Breaking Payments, so I'm learning a ton, you know, with sure. a bunch of partners. You know, the genuine question I have is. Uh, you know, when you read the mission of uh, like the top 10 uh, new grown up kids of, on, you know, from the block in the payment space, yeah. they mostly have the same mission, right? So, and they mostly evolve in the same, in the same space. They are all super very well funded, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, you know, you get a great first round as well. So why is that? I mean, is that the market is so huge? Is the, is the thirst for innovation that is that big? I mean, yeah. because, you know, after a while I said, wow, I mean, this is another great, well-funded payments companies has sure. arrived. They all seem to thrive. Why? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, a well, I mean, look, it's a good example of, if you take Visa, it's probably arguably the world's best network effect business, you know, um, and they started 50, 60 years ago. Um, and by and large, you know, they've been innovating over time, but, you know, they're an incumbent. And so, and they're a very big incumbent. And and I think, you know, the advent of the internet, you know, obviously Stripe's mission of, um, you know, of powering the commerce of the internet and increasing the GDP of the internet, that that was about a distribution channel. And that distribution channel has gone huge uh, over the last, you know, sort of 10, 15 years. Um, I think the, the space is big. Um, I think the technology by and large is old. Um, and so there's there's a disruption element there. And then I also think that there's a lot of things that aren't personal. So consumers are getting new personal experiences as a result of some of these companies that are, that are looking to solve merchant problems and end consumer problems, as opposed to, I think, the inertia of you know a network that's just constantly churning out and you can print cards and then you can you know have issuing banks and acquiring banks and and I think now there's this new space that's sort of been opened up and and I think I think the space is growing so I think there's there's a there's a larger you know market share that's happening um, but I think we're going into a very interesting market now because to your point there's been lots of very well funded businesses um, but I think things like unit economics and distribution channels is really going to be challenged now and you're going to have to really, you know, really push to, to, to define. It's not just going to be about doing very big rounds and, you know, having lots of money of and course. then working it out down the track. So, yeah. So what is a banked angle or, or what is your mission? So we we really believe in the payment method that is pay by bank. So um, the, the, there's a, a paper bank is called an alternative payments and it's sort of 
alternative to card. And you, I think, you trademark it, right? Paid by bank or something? Is that no, or? not trademark. I mean, we own things like the URL, paperbank.com. Uh, yeah, and, exactly. Um, because I saw something on a website that made, oh, you know, they actually made the brand. It's not just a, yeah, so it's we just have a, a sentence. Right? Yeah, exactly. So we've branded Pay by Bank and we want everyone to call it Pay by Bank. Like, that's helpful for consumers. We want consumers to see Pay by Bank and understand that that's an alternative way of making a payment to a card. And I think the job is really to actually make everyone alternative. So everyone's an alternative to card, you know, can we make card an alternative um, as well, I think is. So, but, but our vision and mission is really about, can we bring pay by bank um, globally uh, to, uh, to the market, as opposed to what I think in the past, you've seen alternative payment methods that have been, um, you know, local. So yeah. Ideal is a, um, is a very good example of a, of a great alternative payment method, um, you know, really, you know, developed well in the Netherlands, um, but it's considered a local payment method. And I think for the first time we're seeing uh, digital banking apps, faster payment rails now start to come up in lots of different countries. And so there's there's this this opportunity to bring all of that together and and, and create a new payment method. And that's, that's Yeah, awesome. and as you know, guys, I'm based in Lisbon. And in Lisbon, we have this great, you know, it's called MBA. Yeah, MBA, uh, yeah. And, you know, and when I arrived in Lisbon, it seems, wow, you know, everyone, this country is completely like payments wise uh, digitized right yeah but it's true that as soon as you get out of that tiny country you know is is useless so it's like a global MBA you're building right yeah exactly and I think I think merchants having a a single um, entry point to being able to offer a product that is you know that is available in you know what what's the the version of paper bank in Australia will be different to the version in in the UK that'll be different to the version in Lisbon will be different to the version in the US um, but somebody's going to go and take on the task of building those and working with the big providers that have got both both opportunity and also the opportunity to lose. Um, so if you look at the US, you know, there's a real opportunity to, to disrupt the interchange space there. Um, but at the same time, there's a real opportunity to put retail banks at the front and center of being in the moment of the payment and, you know, capturing some value with the end consumer there. So I think it'll be, de- it'll be different depending on the market. Um, and some of it's about technical integration, but a lot of it, and certainly where banks has got to focus is what's that end consumer experience and how do you make that seamless for a merchant to plug into. I was actually about to ask that. So if you said that, uh, you said that the experience uh, or, or, or the way to uh, to experience that payment in Australia might be different than the way in Portugal or, or, or in Spain. What's going to be the experience of the client? I mean, which tools do I need to have uh, if I want to bank with banked or pay with bank, yeah. uh, pay by bank, sorry, uh, in, in different countries? Yeah, I think I think you know we are very partnership driven. So one of the things that we really believe in is is making sure that the consumer can trust who they bank with today. So we don't want to create a, a banked brand that someone has to then relearn and understand and, and build trust with. What we want them to do is be seamlessly integrated and, and facilitated into their banking app. Um, or you know, there's a there's a future world where there are you know the MB ways of the world. Um, even things like crypto wallets, as as start as people start to look forward, you know, I know crypto is an interesting space at the moment. But as we start to is think like, about is, is, a, is a nice <laughs> word to use. <laughs> as we think about that as just stored value, um, you know, if someone's prepared to accept that stored value, and then there's a world where you know somebody wants to spend that stored value, then that's you know being able to facilitate that and and provide it. So back to your question about. You you know, what are you going to need? You're going to need to have an account. Um, and a lot of the work that we do at the moment is really using your mobile phone to access that account. Um, and, you know, the, the 
the quickest use case at the moment is is online, um, but there are lots of opportunities um, uh, in you know physical as well um, to be able to bring it back there. But but you need an account with somebody, and you need to probably access some type of mobile device. So um, now I'm going to put my uh, VC hat, you know, yeah. which is also one of the uh, yeah, how to say it. Um, one of my arch arrows, you know, and uh, so what's the traction so far? Typical VC question, right? But this is more of an interview one. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, so we did a we did a Series A with um, Bank of America, um, and we had Bank of America. Super interesting uh, that the bank, uh, you know, invested in you guys. I think. Yeah, um, I think that's a good example of you know, that. That's a commercial relationship and an investment relationship, and that's about. Um, Identifying a very clear channel partner, um, and so and 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 banked doesn't. Um, we don't typically uh, um, partner with a merchant. So our, our, you know we've got the merchant problems that are at the heart of our product. Um, but what we want to do is work with channel partners, and and we see banks as a really interesting channel partner. Um, and so you know the I think that judging pay by bank, judging open banking on payment flow, which is typically what VCs have done in the past. So when they've looked at card companies and card distributors, they're judging them on payment flow because they're judging, you know, can you distribute, you know, an already known payment method. This type of payment method isn't known to the consumer very well at the moment. There are some interesting use cases, you know, there's a HMRC, um, you know, use case in in the UK. Um, But by and large, going and buying a pair of shoes from Nike um, is not not well known to the end consumer. And so at the moment, a lot of our traction um, from VCs is being judged around what we've built, um, the part partnerships that we've built, the um, bank integrations, the direct bank integrations that we've built, um, the partners um, both on a distribution level but also on a supply level. So, you know, partners that we work with ourselves to, to, to bring the product to life. And so a lot of that is, you know, recognizing that, yes, this is a payment method that is going to is going to feature in the future. And then who's got the depth of product to both distribute it but also to, to provide the most compelling, you know, proposition. We did a deal with British Airways very, very early on around um, issuing points at checkout, um, and that was again about incentivizing a payment method, so that you know, if I earn points with my card, why should I not be able to earn points with my, um, you know, with, with a pay-by-bank payment? And so again, that that product partnership and that and that build is, is really where we're getting judged at the moment. With I think quite forward-looking VCs that recognise there's a job to be done to build, and then we'll start to see the traction in traditional methods around payment flow and the like. You, you said that you started online, so you clearly your approach is global. But in terms of uh, like uh, the physical points, I suppose that you have uh, like a phased approach, right? So which are the markets that you're going to attack first? Yeah, there's some great markets around. Um, you know, one of the things that the pandemic did, you know, very unhelpful in lots and lots of areas. But one of the things that it was helpful for was it brought the QR code to life all of a sudden, and, and yeah. people started getting you know, resuscitated. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so um, that. Um, the the ability to use QR codes in a world where you can um, uh, you know check out faster um, you know you don't have to wait for payment there's some great you know food delivery companies um, there's some great pay at table businesses and so I think that's going to be an interesting space I think another one is is refunds um, so being able to take a product back to a store um, a physical product and have it refunded back via a pay by bank payment um, at point of sale um, where you can then have the money in your account immediately and 
probably go back and buy goods from the same store. Um, you know, it's going to challenge the current method, which is, oh, that'll be on your card, but it'll be, you know, it'll be there with you within 10 days. And so I think it's, it's going to be those types of use cases that we're going to see first and foremost, um, which is really all, it's all great because it's, it's showing the flow and, and it's getting consumers used to the flow. And then, and then, you know, you've solved a pain point, which is I got my money faster so I could buy the new item of clothing or whatever, or I got to leave the restaurant faster. I didn't have to wait for someone to bring something to me. So uh, something that I want to like uh, catch your, your mind on is the fact that uh, it really seems that uh, uh, this new um, uh, payment grown-ups, because call them startups is uh, not truth anymore, really seems to collaborate uh, much more, you know, in terms of like uh, hitting uh, a niche problem, you know, mm. of the of the payment space mm. and then respect the fact that uh, they can't cover it all, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and do you, do you, is, is that my impression or or you share you share that fact? I think just in any technology play at the moment you almost want to be the conductor of an orchestra if you can. You want to work with as many partners as you can and play a central role to those partnership strategies. And whether they're distribution partnerships or whether they're, you know, you shouldn't want to be, if, you, if your job is to be a payments business, then KYC or fraud detection, there are some businesses that are amazing businesses that are focused on that. And so you should be able to build a product that you can you can partner with those, you know, those companies seamlessly and they can solve that problem and then you can solve the problem of, you know, ensuring that the payment happens safely and securely. So I think that, you know, collaboration in the payment space is, it's it's such a big space and it's a complex product. You're usually plugging into, you know, legacy technology and there's lots of different, you know, steps that you have to get through, potentially regulatory steps that you have to get through. And so I think, you know, your ability to partner well um, is is almost half the battle. You know, you know, building a great product, you know, there's almost like three halves, building a great product, distributing that product and partnering well. And, and I think you've got to try and make... 150% equal 100% somehow. <laughs> uh, after this one, uh, what is the most interesting conversation that you had in money 2020? <laughs> what a what a quite great question. Um, uh, I've I've had a few I've had a few different conversations. I've had a lot of I've had a lot of investor conversations. Um, that doesn't uh, count. Doesn't, that doesn't count. <laughs> because doesn't that's count. selfish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, I'm joking, of course. Investors have also a brain, not only a wallet. Yeah, yeah, true, true. <laughs> no, I think um, I think there was a, so there was a um, somebody that I met who's actually over from Australia, from um, National Australia Bank, um, and she's doing a bit of a tour at the moment. I think she's with um, is it I think Rise. Um, a Doing a, um, a thing, and um, and she was telling me about some of the some of the businesses that um, that she's meeting, and just you know to see another Australian come over here all the way to Amsterdam, which is not not something I ever did when I was working in Australia, um, and see amazing European companies um, and take that back to Australia. That's that's super interesting to me because when I left, you know, eight years ago, one of the reasons I left was because there wasn't a lot of VC money over there. I wasn't getting exposure in any way to to Europe, um, and to know that that's happening back in my my country now is is like it's 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 quite humbling and, and it's exciting. I think she was preparing the ground for you to come back or or, or, or pushing <laughs> banked, you know, to to go to Australia soon. I think, right? You never know. You never know. <laughs> Brad, we are wrapping up. Thank you so much. Thank I you, think Mr. that was a great way to wake up, you know, in this uh, Wednesday at uh, Money 2020. I hope our orders wake up as well. The, this conversation will be recorded and, you know, also on Breaking Banks Europe. Brad, thank you very much for being with us this morning. Thanks a lot, Matteo. Great to be here. Cheers, mate. And it's a wrap.
Hey guys, welcome back to uh, Breaking Banks Europe at Money 2020, day two. We are here with uh, a uh, co-founder and a, uh, I want to say, adopted uh, co-founder, uh, <laughs> Ed Griffin, and actually, you know, good friend and former colleague uh, at Swift, Adam and Alan. Welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Alan, a couple of words about yourself uh, and, of course, like the one-liner pitch on, on Griffin and take it from there. Sure. Um, so I'm a serial entrepreneur, um, founded CircleCI in 2011, uh, which is now a Silicon Valley unicorn, and now we're building Griffin, which is a, an API-first UK bank. Uh, we're building a platform that uh, fintechs can build on. Cool. Adam, you know, the past that I know, but that crowds doesn't, maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm Adam, uh, Chief Commercial Officer at Griffin. Uh, joined the business about a year and a half ago after the team had done a lot of the groundwork to become a bank. Um, that's still a journey that we're on. Uh, formerly uh, co-founder of Form 3 and also worked at Swift uh, for quite a long time. Um, so really happy to be part of the team and, and working to, uh, to make something uh, unique in market. Great. So, Alan, let's start with the basic, okay? And it's a question that I already asked uh, once, uh, you know, during another interview, but, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that I get different answers, right? So there are a lot of, like, I want to say grown-up kids from the block in this, like, infrastructure as a service, you know, space. They are all super well, you know, funded. They are all getting uh, traction. And I wonder whether or not it's because like the need is so big and the market potential market is so big, or because the need for innovation is so big and like we are hitting you guys are hitting a nail that is historically very weak in terms of you know automation and smoothness of like building a service for a for a bank or 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 for a financial institution. Uh, or for a wannabe financial service uh, services company, you know why is that? I mean, it seems like the crowd, the the market, the more companies that are coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I would say on on both points, both on innovation and on market demand, I would say the answer is both. Um, you know, there's something like 600 million bank accounts in Europe and the UK, and they all want to move. All the consumers want to move digital. Uh, but you know the big banks right now are not really supporting that. Um, on the innovation side, you know some of the hardest things to change in a bank are the you know risk and legal and compliance policies. Um, so you know even if even if they want to change on on a tech perspective, like getting the rest of the bank on board is is always going to be slow moving. I get it. Uh Adam, you know, my, my, my friend uh, uh, Eugene uh, Daniel Kiss, the founder of uh, Mambo, that is one of the guys that I missed when, back when I was an investor, you know, <laughs> the ages, uh, ages ago, but I really like the guy. Uh, he's this, uh, he's very affectionate to this world of composable banking, okay, mm -hmm. he liked it. And I think that, uh, you know, you guys are, uh, it, I don't want to like put startups in families, right? But it is true that you built an infrastructure that is really modular and uh, it helps like someone who wants to build a service to just like almost cherry pick from menu. This is what I understood from a very basic uh, level. Am sure. I right? Uh, yeah, to a certain extent. Um, there's a number of core problems that we're looking to solve. So to your earlier point, there, there is a market need 
uh, fintechs have to work with banks. That is regulated fintechs have to work with a bank. Um, and they can decide to either work with a, a general purpose bank um, that happens to have a transaction service business and, and supports fintechs, or at least tries to. Um, so work with a general purpose bank or work with a purpose-built bank. And, and we're a purpose-built bank specifically designed to support the ecosystem of fintechs and provide them with services and capabilities to allow them to build their businesses. And essentially that means that there are common problems that exist between all of these firms um, from just being able to open a bank account and maintain a bank account, which is something that should be simple and isn't. Um, being able to manage risk, um, both in terms of customer onboarding, transaction screening and monitoring and fraud. These are common problems that um, are issues for our clients in the market that we're trying to serve, but they're also issues for the bank. Um, so the approach that we want to take is like we're co-investing in solving those problems, both for our own benefit, but also for our customers. Um, so yeah, the, the, the approach that we need to take is, is by nature modular. Um, so that we can help customers that are on different points of their journey. So, like, uh, is that correct that a tagline uh, that I will sell you for free that could be adapted to Griffin is like, we became a bank so our customer doesn't have to? I think so. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a great line, guys. Come <laughs> yeah. on, you know, it's yeah. a, I mean, not, on not, the spot not, like not, this. No, I mean, to be fair, not all fintechs want to be banks, right? Banks <laughs> 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 haven't got the best <laughs> reputations. But I think it's, it's worth revisiting that there are some some banks that have gone through authorization in the last 10 years, if you ask them now, would you do it again? Would you become a bank again? And if not, who would you want to partner with? I think you'd get some really interesting answers. And hopefully part of the answer would be that the opportunity to work with a, a company like Griffin. So, Alan, um, in, in my like, uh, uh, past as, as an investor, uh, to, with the Omedia Network, I invested in Tandem Bank that now became, uh, you know, Harrods, I guess, or they took over the Harrods lines, but that's a detail. And, uh, you know, we're talking about close to 10 years ago, actually, you know, 2014, 15. Uh, it, where are you on the journey of becoming a bank and how this, uh, you know, like very important uh, regulatory step has evolved in the past decade? I'm actually really curious. Yeah. Um, so we've submitted our application, um, so then if the regulators like it um, and everything goes well, uh, we'll enter mobilization in probably Q4, Q1, and then go live in, call it summer 23. Um, as far as we can tell, the process seems to have started taking longer. Um, the earlier challengers seem to get through quicker, and it's you know then we had Brexit and COVID, so that's kind of slowed of things course. down. And I think the regulators have also gotten slightly more cautious. Okay, and why is that? Or I mean, why do you think is that, of course? <laughs> my guess is, you know, they saw some challengers get in easily and then have problems that they had to correct later. So then the regulators have been, you know, raising the bar. So, um, Adam, just to, like, because again, you know, we think that we talk amongst people who, like, uh, um, eat and bites, you know, these topics every day. But, you know, mm -hmm. it, amongst our couple of millions of auditors, not all of them are experts, right? So, <laughs> yeah, 1.9 <laughs> to be precise. Wow. Uh, they might not all listen to this episode, but okay. that's the number of downloads we have. Right. So, the, the, who are your typical customers? 
Yeah, uh, the customers that we're that we're looking to work with uh, once we become regulated are um, all fintechs who are regulated. Um, so they will need to be, um, and in the UK, the banking license is initially for the UK until we expand into the markets. Mm-hmm. But um, so cl- clients would be uh, servicing consumers, um, uh, so the latest neobank or uh, account service provider. They could be in a B two B space. Uh, wanting to provide better uh, account services to to corporates or SMEs, um, they might want to start with account services and then go into lending. Uh, and again, another reason that um, we're becoming a bank is so that we can offer credit back to our customers as well. Essentially, banks should be very efficient at managing uh, capital and redeploying that back into the market. Um, so that's that's the role that we want to play. Um, so yeah, in summary, all regulated fintechs in the UK, uh, whether they're on the wealth side, consumer side, corporate side, uh, to support all of them. What about expansion to Europe, Alan? As soon as we can. Mm-hmm. So you need to ask for a license somewhere, you know, on the other side of the, um, how do say it? The... Somewhere yeah. over here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> options. Um, you know, like we don't have to go for a full bank license to begin with, you know, so like once you have the UK license, you can maybe partner with an EU bank or get an EU EMI or, you know, there's a range of options there. But you only need to get it in one country, right? Because then you can passport the license or it's more complicated um, than you, that. You can't passport, it's harder to passport now, but um, having having a bank license in one first world country makes it easier to, you know, the, the banks in the other country will take you more seriously than if you're like a startup and, you know. So if we were if we were an unregulated software company in the UK, EU banks would be like, "Why should we work with you?" But if we're a full UK bank, they're like, "Oh, okay, you're you know, you're a full member of the community now." And I'm curious as well if you know when the moment you sort of uh, implement uh, you know your solution, how much of it is a is a business challenge and how much of it is a tech challenge? Because on the other mm. side, right, there's yeah, 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 something yeah. has to be plugged. Yeah, yeah, somewhere, right? So, how so, did you go about it? I, I, I mean, I'll go first if that's okay. Right. I, I think. Well, the CTO will have a say, I oh, guess, as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think what's uh, really interesting is a, a critical part of the function of, of any bank, uh, and and ours as well, is how you manage and assess risk. And um, if you're limited by the information that you have visibility of from your customer base, you know, that's really difficult. Um, the customer onboarding experience that fintech has with the bank today is pretty protracted and involves a lot of exchange of information about risk and compliance, the way that you assess risk, the control framework. You know, it's quite a lengthy process. It can be six months, nine months. It's quite typical. That's not ideal uh, for a business to have to go through that. Uh, it takes time and effort. So we want to make that process as cost-effective and efficient as we possibly can. Now, that isn't about making it easier to fill out a form. That's about changing the operating model between the bank and its customer. So part of our uh, vision and part of our approach that we're now testing in market um, with some customers is to deploy a risk management platform that allows our customers to onboard their customers. It's something that we calibrate. So it uses technology, but it also uses the expertise of the bank to calibrate that for the risk of our customer. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So our expertise is something that we provide to our customer for them to onboard their, their customers. It then also gives us more visibility into the risk profile of our, of our customer and allows us to serve them better. So I think it's a really good example uh, to answer your question. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. 
Um, I mean, ev at the end of the day, like everything is both an operations problem and a tech problem. You know, um, if, if we're trying to make products that are API first and digital first, you have to think a lot more about what are all the interactions that we allow. Um, you know, because if you have if you have a traditional bank account at a traditional branch, you say, "Oh, I've got a problem." You go to customer service. You know, you're, you're talking to a human. I mean, we still have customer service, but we would like to automate as much as we can. So then you have to think, okay, what are all of the reasons a customer would want help? You know, and what, what happens when what happens when a company goes bankrupt? What happens when somebody dies? Like there are all these weird legal things that you don't often think about it from a like product perspective but like we have to account for that in the technology so like what are the buttons somebody can press that's that's both operations and technology that brings me to maybe the last question so it it looks like you guys are on the starting block like waiting for the license to like to arrive and then we can, we can see the finish line but it's also the starting line <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly we've so, done lap one the warm-up yeah. lap my, my very <laughs> practical question is uh, you know what's you know what's in the kitchen right now you know whilst you're waiting for someone to like allow you to serve the, the clients to use the restaurant image yeah well we have the identity product um, we have paying customers for that now in early access. Uh, so some some of the products we are planning to offer, we can offer without the license. That's mostly you know KYC, transaction screening, transaction monitoring, that kind of thing. Uh, and then we have the banking products. We'll have a sandbox. Um, and then you know we're we're still just building. So there's yeah. a lot to build. Yeah. Both on technology and operations. We yeah. have to write banking policies and procedures and. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff to do, but I think one of the one of the things that really interests me about Griffin and why I joined is um, you know this approach that we take to two things: design, design thinking, and transparency. So it goes into everything that we do, and we try and expose that to our customers if they want to, if they're interested. Like the approach that we've taken, and so the sandbox that we make available, like it's not if you want to look at it, if you want to play with it, anyone can do that today. There's no NDA to sign. You don't have to agree pricing. You don't have to go through contracting. Like yeah. it's a technology platform. If you if you want to spend some time looking at it, it's there. But it's there in its current form, and as Alan said, it will evolve as we build out the business. So we we think like we'd rather be transparent with people about what we really are doing for real, rather than a bunch of vaporware and slides and sales meetings yeah. and. If that works and solves problems, fantastic. And if it doesn't, it's not spent you know a lot of time figuring it out. Of course, I love the fact that uh, you know this uh, this startup uh, uh, has been built by you know, at least three several you know former entrepreneurs you know serial as uh, or or not it doesn't matter but. It really seems to me like uh, um, you're really taking, uh, you know, the view of the customer, you know, first and and and, and this journey. So, uh, good luck, guys, for uh, now and uh, and the coming and the coming features. Thank you very much for being with us. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having us, guys. That was Griffin, and it's a wrap. Hey guys, we're back. We are back at uh, Money 2020 live from the Money Pot. This is Breaking Banks Europe. I am Matteo Rizzi and I'm here with Joe Hurley from... Uh, 
Crown Agents Bank. Crown Agents Bank. Not that they didn't know it. I want you to this, you know, saying this name of the super historical institution I'm just learning about. And I think it has a fascinating story. Joe, welcome yes. to the show. Thank you, Matteo. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Let's start by your own personal background, which is already super interesting, please. And then a couple of words on Crown Agents Bank. Sure, sure. So I worked uh, previously as um, uh, head of business development for Discover Financial Services. So I ran a lot of the global business for Discover, and I worked there again 34 and a half years. So um, one year freshman in London, right? And now I'm now I'm in London for one year. Yes, sir. <laughs> What a change. It is a change, uh, but a, a welcome change. I'm really enjoying it. So, you know, Crown Agents Bank, talk to us about it. Crown Agents Bank. So, you know, when I joined this bank a year ago, I'd never heard of it before. Oh, okay. Now I'm relieved because yeah. I... <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, so Crown Agents Bank um, uh, is a, an amazing 188-year-old fintech. Uh, so that's a good way of putting it. A, yes, it is. So, so um, you know, we we as a, a bank uh, were owned by the by the UK government, and it was uh, sold to be private about seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, we we're owned by Helios, which is a private equity firm uh, out of London. And um, and so the bank, you know, uh, pivoted into uh, into a new new way of, of doing business. Uh, so we specialize as a bank in uh, FX and payments. And so uh, with that with that background of having previously been agents of the Crown Crown Agents Bank, where agent and they helped. Um, set up infrastructure in emerging and frontier markets. And so as, as we did that, um, we got to know those um, areas of the world very well. That's why you were saying me that, uh, you know, Africa is one of your main markets, right? It is. I think we are probably the best in the world at moving money into and out of Africa. And we, we feel really good about that. So what are the challenges actually to, uh, you know, be in this space that seems like a, a gigantic space, but at the same time, very niche, you know? So what are the challenges? Yeah. So I think, I think you, you hit it. It, it's, it, it may seem like a niche, but the market is huge. Africa is growing in, in, you know, in ways that are, you know, that is a new frontier. It's, it's, it's a, got amazing growth. And I think on the other side, um, for us as a, um, as a marketplace, there's, you know, 54 countries in Africa and we address by far the majority of the countries. And, um, and so when we think about it, um, just setting up and making sure we're doing all that we need to do to help move money into and out of those countries is tricky. Um, like charity money, if nothing else, right? For example, which must be one of the like the biggest flow that goes into Africa, right? A absolutely. Charity money is really important. So we sort of break our business into a, a number of different segments. Some of the big four, the big four segments are charity money. We call it uh, IDOs or development organizations or NGOs as, as yes. a common vernacular. We, so we work with a lot of the major 
providers and players in that space. We, we also bank 26 central banks, and that goes back to those earliest days. So we have a good, good relationships with a lot of the central banks. Um, most of these 26 central banks are in Africa as well? They are. Most of them are. But again, they're legacy from, you know, being being uh, part of the, of course. the British government. Yes. So yes. then the third um, segment that we, we participate in are major banks, um, tier one banks. Um, a lot of banks, and you know, an interesting thing about it, a lot of banks have de-risked Africa. They're, they're, they were there, they come back out, they may go back in and then they come back out. So um, we just have had a really long-standing deep relationship in the continent and and it's um, you know very helpful for us to be known that we're not going to abandon the market uh, so so tier one banks and then the last uh, segment is fintechs which is um, you know a natural for, for us so you know and, and again the reason why I'm like double clicking on this is because uh, you know you're a payments veteran uh, it, but not all our auditors are right so what let me see uh, if I understood correctly. So you're saying that uh, very large banks are outsourcing to you guys the movement of uh, large amount of money, you know, with Forex, uh, you know, implying Forex uh, to Africa, for example. They don't do it themselves. Am I understanding correctly? Yeah. So, so perfectly well said. So, so we, they, those banks that aren't there who need help to move money in or to take money out, they they come to us and they ask us, could, could we help them with that uh, task? And, and so we're really, really happy to pick up that business. There are a lot of banks that we haven't even called on yet because because again, our business model changed just a few years ago, and we had to make sure we had in place the proper infrastructure before we really started, you know, pushing on and calling on a lot of the of the large banks in the world. But now we have, and we've got a number of them that are are participating with us. Let's talk a little bit about the fourth segment that you that you mentioned. You know? So the the, the fintechs. Uh, I suppose that uh, you know there you're dealing with uh, uh, you know large sort of you know grown ups uh, company, and and I'm thinking now about uh, like the the the, the unicorns that recently you know surfaced the, the 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 continent, right? And I call it the continent because you guys know that I'm particularly active in Africa, you know, visit over 20 countries, which, you know, for, you know, the, the, a normal human being is already above the average for sure. And I'm passionate about, you know, that how this technology, you know, can have an impact on, on, uh, on the continent. So I suppose that you're here at Monet 2020 to, you know, sort of strengthening relationship with some of the existing uh, uh, clients. I mean, I see, I saw some banks, but mainly to like uh, uh, fish, as pardon me, the world, some new fintechs, right? Absolutely. So, so you know, Money 2020, by definition, it, it represents fintechs. It, it brings them all together in a way where you can have lots of uh, collaboration and lots of discussion. And we, we provide services today to a lot of fintech companies. And the definition of fintech can be quite broad and quite you know, uh, unclear at times. But, but, but I would just say we, we do provide services to those fintechs and we are here fishing. Uh, we are here, but, but we're also deepening relationships. This is a, the, you know, the first time in, in uh, a while where we've been able to get into this type of environment since COVID. And, and we're, we're super excited to meet with all, all of our clients face-to-face -face and meet new prospects and share with them what Crown Agents does and how we do it. 
Joe, I'm curious about uh, the like the technological component, you know, of uh, of the business because uh, you know, for for the I want to say for the for the people who are not dealing with it every day, mm-hmm. you know, a payments even if it's like a half a billion dollar payments uh, exchange in franc uh, uh, CFAs, you know, mm-hmm. it, it it seems like a payments, right? But I am pretty sure that we don't see the complexity behind it, right? That's right. Well, we'd like to hide that complexity and make it <laughs> easier for people. So I would say that, you know, um, Crown Agents Bank spends a lot of money on technology and that technology is is meant to make it easier um, and more seamless for our clients. Uh, So by way of example, we have uh, some very solid API infrastructure. So when we want to do payments and FX, we can can do those through a single API connection and, 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 and really... Our, our view of it is is to make it also very easy for a fintech who wants to write to us to be able to simply code to us and they're up and running in no time. We, again, the objective is to make us easy to work with and that that's something we pride ourselves in. So uh, one of the biggest challenges in Africa is uh, interoperability, you know, and, and interoperability between, uh, you know, not only different ecosystems, but also different regions. Like, uh, you know, when you, and, and this is like uh, as less related, uh, uh, you know, Crown Agents Bank is, is more your own experience, you know, with the African market yeah. that of course has an impact on the payment space, right? So everyone focused on, you know, the Kenya and Nigeria and Egypt, like the super well, South Africa and the super well populated and rapid growing uh, countries, you know, of Africa. Mm-hmm. But would you agree with me that, you know, there is this uh, francophone and even like lusophone part of Africa that is rapidly catching up. We're talking about half, like roughly half a billion people, right? And the more we build rails in between the grown-up world within Africa and the catching-up world, you know, the more the economy overall would improve. And I wonder whether or not you guys see yourself playing a role in this, because you're kind of the facilitator, right, of this uh, of this economic exchange between different parts of Africa at the end, even if the bridge is outside of Africa. You see what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. So l- maybe let me talk to that just for a couple of minutes. So, you know, um, what you just described is what's going on in Africa. So one of the things that Crown is uniquely positioned to do, and we do do it, we do crosses between different African currencies. And so rather than having to go from a currency up to the U.S. dollar, back down to the other currency and the overhead associated with that, we do look at where we can do, and we do do them. We do, um, you know, cross African crosses and in, in, into different currencies. Not every currency, but we're getting, we're, we're growing that type of activity. And I think that's going to be something that we're going to see a lot more of. It, and, and it makes for a lower cost transaction. And cost is a lot of the componentry. There's not, you know, you don't want to have, you want to have efficiency. You don't want to have waste. So we're, we're super excited about, you know, providing that type of functionality. I, I actually see, I mean, generally, and this is not like me trying to, uh, you know, um, how do you say it? Being uh, uh, clumsy about the question, mm-hmm. I am I'm thinking of it at the same time. But today there is no player 
no player that is able to play this orchestrator role, you know, in between different countries in uh, in Africa. And now I try to, I mean, I, I understand why, you know, you guys have been privatized and someone sort of saw, saw the opportunity, right? It must have been this way, right? It, it very much was that way. I, again, I think, you know, we look at that market as, as being underserved by banks, uh, generally, and if we can fill the hole, I mean, it's important. I mean, if you think about our our IDO flows, I mean, we're helping people to get food. We're helping to get. I mean, we're talking about the very basics of life, and and that that that's very important to us. It makes our banks charter and doing that type of uh, monetary delivery, you know, very important, but also very heartwarming. At the same time, on the commercial side, um, you know, there's a lot of companies that are, you know, that are forming in these markets, and they're uh, whether they're doing manufacturing or they're doing agriculture or they're, uh, and they have payrolls that need to be paid. Often they may be uh, owned in other, other by uh, by people in other countries that are paying into these markets. And at the same time, when they're selling their goods, there's got to be an exchange of, of monies. So you know, our role in participating there, you know, is is a, a really important one, and, and that's how we feel. If if I put myself uh, like back my swift hat of of a few years ago, you know, one of the largest uh, challenges that this type of industry had was, you know, in the trading space, you know, the certainty that a payment was made uh, in a given currency on one side. Yeah. And, you know, the other side had to release, you know, the, the, the merchandise or, you know, or whatever was was the deal. Right. So I wonder, is this like a, one of the potential value added businesses that you can build on the top of your service? Or is this something that you're already doing? That's, a, again, a genuine question yeah. that, you know, myself is asking, you know. So, yeah. so you know, when it comes to uh, swift delivery, um, there's still a dependency on the relationship. Relationship with the, with the banks who are participating, and I would say that our bank partners that we have across the continent uh, value their relationship with us greatly. Why? Well, one, we bring a lot of U.S. dollars to market, and hard currency is something that a lot of these banks really, really want. Um, the second thing that I think about as it relates to uh, to these banks uh, in in these different markets is is that. They're looking for people who can deliver uh, through the technology that they have, and so Swift is natural rails. We can we 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 use those, and then we follow up and provide service reporting and making sure that everything is is you know handled the right way. So, if you're a bank or a fintech company using us for uh, for delivery, there's two things. One, you want a really good price, but number two, what you just hit on is is they want to make sure there's certainty that the money's going to get there. So our strong relationships with those banks is what also helps us make sure that the money gets there. Well, and I think that close to two centuries of, of business, you know, as a, you know, as a, <laughs> as this company is, you know, I think is also a good enough warranty, uh, uh, right? Two centuries of, of doing business and, and uh, also the relationships with the central banks. We feel, again, I think we bring the, the full package and that's that's and now we're really commercializing that and bringing on a lot more new clients and, and we're looking at really solid growth right now in, inside the bank 
So Crown Agents Bank, I think, is a, an old lady that has all her space in an event like Money 2020. Thank you, Joe, for being with us today. Well, thank you, Matteo. I really appreciate it. And thank you guys for being with us. That's the Money 2020 pot, Breaking Banks Europe. And it's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.